I'm David Belson. And I'm Rachel Redan. And this is the Branding London Podcast. The first season is brought to you by Libro Credit Union, a group of epic humans focused on increasing prosperity in southwestern Ontario. They have just launched a new campaign, My Life Here, which fits the theme of this podcast quite nicely. To learn more, go to libro.ca slash mylifehere. This interview is with Peter Fragiscatos, MP for London North Centre. We had a great conversation about how London's seen both regionally here and across Canada and how he represents us at Queen's Park in Ottawa. Uh, here's Rachel with the land acknowledgement. We would like to acknowledge the history of the traditional territory and honour the long-standing relationships of the three local First Nation groups of this land and place in southwestern Ontario. The Ottawandaran peoples once settled this region alongside the Algonquin and Haudenosaunee peoples and used this land as their traditional hunting grounds. The three long-standing indigenous groups of this geographic region are the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Lenni-Lenape peoples. I'd like to recognize the three First Nations communities neighboring the city of London, Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, and Muncie Delaware Nation. We continue to honor the legacy of the space we're in by using the Roundhouse to tell stories, increase collaboration, and work with our clients to improve human lives. We believe that telling the stories of our fellow Londoners will help bring us together to solve problems. So my first question is, you know, name, position, and function. So, uh, sure. So Peter Fragascados, and I'm the member of Parliament for London North Centre. It's an area that stretches south of Sunningdale Road, everything to the uh, east of Wonderland, everything to the west of Highbury, into the downtown area. So nice. it's, a, it's a wide area. About 118,000 people live in London North Centre. Yeah. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, how common it is that you run into someone on the street in London who knows what London North Centre means. <laughs> it's really in political circles that, uh, yeah. that term is recognized. It's a, it's a district, right? Yeah. For administrative purposes, you, you need to name things as they are. Yeah. Uh, but it really, uh, it does represent uh, geographically the north and, and center of the city. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing that since uh, since 2015 when I was elected in October. In so where, where's the lower boundary of that? I, I know you just said that, but uh, I go, uh, Right by a Family Circle restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, right in that area. Yeah. <laughs> so we're- Great breakfast place. We're on uh, in Soho or- Technically, we're a little bit north of Horton, but uh, we're still in the, the riding area for you. I live in London West, so okay. uh, oh, that's a great riding. Yeah, too. it is a great riding. <laughs> uh, Kate actually, she did. Yeah. Uh, she uh, wasn't able to do the live stream, but I did get okay. some comments from her as well that'll be released. So um, that was great. Uh, you know, MPs I think are one of those jobs that people would um, think that they know a lot about, but maybe don't actually know a lot about what. What is a day in a life? Obviously, you know, showing up on live streams and podcasts, and yeah. uh, you mentioned you got a couple of events you're going to tonight. But uh, what does the day in the life of an MP look like? Every day varies, uh, but I will say that the job basically boils down to two different jobs. As a matter of fact, it's something that, in retrospect, David is very clear two and a half years after <laughs> being elected. But, uh, you know, when I was first elected, it didn't strike me that it would be, in fact, two jobs. So mm -hmm. what I mean by that is when I'm in London, and that's typically three days a week, mm -hmm. I'm very focused on community events or uh, meeting with uh, constituents one-on-one, -on -one, helping sort out their problems, whether they relate to immigration or trying to secure investment for their business or organization mm -hmm. uh, from the federal government. Uh, you know, that's a typical day. 
uh, you know, and and you embrace it, and th- all members of parliament do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm in Ottawa, four days a week, uh, the focus is still on London. So I'm making calls and taking calls from constituents. It's less of a interactive mm-hmm. sort of thing, but you're still doing those things. But you are in parliament. You're in parliament, taking part in the debates in the House of Commons, but also at the committee level. So I sit on two committees: uh, the mm-hmm. Committee of National Security and Public Safety and the committee focusing on international human rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm quite often in committee. In fact, some of the most important work that we do in Ottawa is at the committee level. It does have a national focus. I guess in the case of the uh, Human Rights Committee, that's an international focus. Uh, So you you need that perspective. You need that lens. But at the same time, you always want to connect it back to to London. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. I was sitting on the International Human Rights Committee about a week and a half ago. And we heard testimony from an opposition group and human rights leaders in Cambodia. Uh, They had actually visited Canada to make that testimony. Mm. Uh, We have a very large Cambodian diaspora in Canada and Mm -hmm. in London. And so I asked a question uh, to the the representatives there. uh, And it was focused on certainly the human rights situation in Cambodia, but with uh, the diaspora in mind here in Mm -hmm. London. The national, the international, the local, they all interact and, and mingle in interesting and <laughs> unpredictable ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the uh, Committee of National Security and Public Safety, we've been looking at a bill called Bill C-59 that tries to balance the need for security with privacy rights. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that since October. You're going to be interviewing Mark Zuckerberg anytime soon? I'm not going to be <laughs> interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, no, but uh, he's, he's got other people to interview him. But, uh, <laughs> No, it's, uh, look, we need to really look at this debate and, and get it right, this balance between security and privacy. I think C-51, which had concerned a lot of Canadians, mm-hmm. uh, aired too much on the side of security mm-hmm. and not uh, so much on the side of privacy. Mm-hmm. We're trying to strike a, a better balance in that regard. So it's been really good to, to get the testimony from, uh, uh, from the experts, academics and others who have come into the committee and uh, told us what they thought of what the government has proposed in Bill C-59 and I think we're going to get to a better balance when it's all said and done. So when the, you know, you work on the committee, what is the ultimate? Um, does that go back to the, the caucus? Does that go back to a minister? What is the, you know, right. you do all this great work on the committee and get all this information. What happens to it after that? No, that's a really good question. Sure. So when a, um, a bill is proposed, it's read into the House for the first time. Uh, that's more or less a formality. Mm-hmm. The, real, um, the real important thing happens when uh, second reading comes around. Mm-hmm. If a bill passes second reading, it goes to the committee. Mm-hmm. The committee analyzes it uh, typically for a few weeks, but depending on the size of the bill, it could be a few months, mm-hmm. as is the case in C-59. Uh, and then when the committee is done with it, uh, if, it's, uh, if it receives majority support at the committee level, it, and that's an all-party committee mm-hmm. uh, situation as well, it goes back, the bill goes back to, uh, to Parliament for, um, to basically uh, to get that approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you're done uh, the review of what the committee has said, it goes to, uh, to third reading. Once it passes third reading, it goes to the Senate. And the same process takes place there, uh, including committee analysis. So uh, passing law can take, uh, <laughs> can take a, 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 a lot of time in yeah. Canada. But you need that, checks, that check and balance to be in place because... Uh, without it, that's when I think mistakes are made. That's mm-hmm. when the real errors happen when you're trying to push things through. It's interesting, you know, because, um, you know, some politicians run under a, a mantra of, you know, run it like a business or make it more efficient. And, and to a certain extent, you know, um, decision by committee can be inc- incredibly detrimental to 
uh, a business process because you know in, in private enterprise you have to be agile you have to be fast sure. you have to respond to the market uh, but you're dealing with policy decisions that have you know 20 30 year or it, or literally life and death situations at the policy level. you have to take so. your time but there's also a need to recognize that at the end of the day uh, laws need to be made mm-hmm. and we need in the case of the work that i do on on national security and public safety a safer country mm-hmm. uh, there's that debate is always ongoing and there are, th- there are those who will argue that the primary uh, purpose of, uh, of, a, of a state, the, the whole reason for its existence is to keep people safe and secure. Yeah. I tend to side with that. Yeah. So you do want to take the, the necessary time. I'll tell you, the best part of the committee process is, is bringing in the experts and reading their work beforehand, getting a sense of, of where they sit in terms of their analysis, but listening to their testimony on the, uh, on the specifics of a bill is instrumental in, in helping us shape our, our opinions. I mean, we have, as politicians, you can imagine, we have many opinions, but <laughs> we're not experts yep. in legislation and on particular issues relating to, to security and, and, um, and public safety in, in this committee's case. Uh, we have a background in this, so I, I taught uh, at, uh, at the university for a number of years mm-hmm. before going into, uh, into politics. I, I wrote in the media on international affairs and including security issues. Uh, but it's always good to really uh, delve in and listen to the analysis offered by people who are uh, expert in their fields and then taking that back and seeing, okay, where does this bill get things right? Where does it need to be amended? Because that's what crucially happens. Probably should have hinted that that before. <laughs> that's crucially what happens at, at the committee level. Mm-hmm. That is where you can look at a bill uh, and then seek to make changes based on, on the testimony that is offered or sometimes things stay the same. If, mm-hmm. if you've got a good bill that doesn't need much change, there's no need to, uh, you know, why why fix it if it's not broken? Yeah, I've been um, to a couple of different things, at, mostly at the provincial level, uh, where they seek uh, that level of input. Uh, you know, I do wonder if it's one of those things that uh, people, uh, you know, I hadn't even connected the dots between the, the committee work and the, the third reading or the revisions. Right. Uh, just, you know, uh, how much work goes into that sure. process. So uh, last question on kind of what you do and then we'll move on. But sure. uh, when you put your name on the ballot, did yeah. you think, did you ever envision that you would be in, uh, you know, committee work doing public safety? And Well, I certainly like that? knew that uh, if, if things worked out, that I would be serving uh, at, uh, at the committee level on some committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started off, actually, as a matter of fact, on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Mm-hmm. And that's where my background is, at least, uh, you know, prior to, to going into politics. Yeah. Uh, academically, I taught on international relations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's where it, it was a very good fit. But I also want the opportunity to, to study issues outside of that and and offer input. So, you know, national security is, is an area that I'm very interested in and public safety matters. So it's here's another this, situation where it's a good fit, too. This might be a uh, you know question that you can't answer on the record, but uh, do you get to choose your yeah, committees? Or do- You're throwing minds at me already. <laughs> do you, do you get, this is just curiosity. Yeah. So uh, if you can't answer, that's fine. Sure. But uh, do you get to choose which committees you on or do you get told which ones you're on or is it a mix of no, both realities? No, we are consulted realities? on what we would like to serve on. That's cool. Uh, so I had a strong interest in serving on foreign affairs at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, also international human rights, yep. but uh, when the opportunity came up to, to serve on national security and public safety, uh, then I, uh, I embraced that. Uh, cool. I wanted the opportunity to, to branch out a little bit more and, and understand those issues as they affect Canada. Great. So, um, you know, just again, maybe a 30 second bio for those that don't know you. Sure. Before politics, you were a, a professor at 
Yeah. I taught, don't, I don't uh, know the answer. I'm not, I'm no, not leading okay. you. <laughs> taught, uh, taught it here in college and, yeah. uh, and then at King's College. Mm-hmm. I did some work on the main campus mm-hmm. as well. Um, but very tied to to the university as a whole at Western. So uh, why, that doesn't mean I don't love Fanshawe. Love Fanshawe too. <laughs> They're both great schools. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, you know the next question is why you know why do you live in London? Obviously you're an MP for London North, but yeah. uh, previous to you know why did you choose to have your career here in London? Uh, you recently engaged. I saw on oh, your Facebook feed. Yes. So you know obviously starting a family here in London. Uh, yeah. I always ask why why London? Why are you here? So I was born in London and raised here for the first uh, eight years of my life or so on Egerton Street. Okay. Yep. Uh, you know, right at uh, basically the corner of, of Hamilton Road in Egerton. Yep. And then my father bought a business not too far from where you grew up in, uh, in Exeter. Mm-hmm. And so yep. we moved uh, north of the city, which, you know, for those who might not know Exeter, it's, uh, it's about a half hour drive north. Just stay, stay on Richmond Street and, and you will find the town of the White Squirrel. And yep. that's, where we, uh, that's where we settled um, in that area. And um, wonderful town, wonderful people, uh, very fond memories of the town. And uh, when it came time to, to go to university, though, I, I chose Western. And mm-hmm. this is, in fact, where most of my, my extended family live as it is. Uh, most, uh, most uncles, most aunts, cousins mm-hmm. are, are here in London. That's where they settled when the family came here from Greece in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, London always you know, felt like home. Like mm-hmm. I said, I was born here, raised here for the first part of my life. Uh, went to school and finished the undergraduate degree, did some more uh, schooling, but wanted to, when an opportunity came up to, to work at Huron College, I took that opportunity and, you know, it, it just it was always a really, really nice fit here in the city. I, I love it and I love everything it represents and everything it stands for. Great. Well, we'll get into some of that. Sure. Uh, actually, that's sort of the next question. Um what do you think that London does better than anyone else? And you can pick, we were talking just before about you're, you're involved with some uh, beer and craft beer and sure. London obviously does beer. Great. We've always done it well, but we're starting to earn a <laughs> reputation in the craft sector as well. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a great work. We do beer very well, but if you're going to push me on what we do well as a city, mm-hmm. as a whole, I would say we're a very resilient people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have experienced many difficult times, particularly since 2008. Mm-hmm. We always find a way. We always find a way to bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to get into discussions on branding. <laughs> yep. but down in Detroit, they're talking about Detroit versus everybody. Yep. Right? This is now uh, <laughs> this is now an idea, a brand that's. Uh, I mean, businesses are businesses are embracing it. Yep. Eminem is even embracing. He's there. It. Yeah. He's there too. So I think that we are a very resilient city that knows how to come out of difficult times, economic and otherwise. I think if we can harness that kind of energy and build upon it and use it as a source of strength and confidence, then we can continue to, to, to see successes in this city. Why do you think that is? Do you have a theory? I don't have a... I wouldn't point to something specific, but... If you look at what London represents, I mean, we have families here that have been here for a long time and mm-hmm. traditions and insurance and finance. So mm-hmm. we've always had a, a stable economic footing, but sometimes that economic footing has, has been pulled away from us and we've been forced to reinvent ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when you're forced to do something, that stays with you. That lesson stays with you. Mm-hmm. That builds resiliency in my mind. We also have people from, and this is true of every city and town in the country, granted, but we do, we are a story, we are a, a city rather, where immigrant, immigrants have come and settled and, and done very well and brought their, 
difficult experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, quite often fleeing war, but mm -hmm. if not war, then very difficult, impoverished situations. That lends to the city tremendously. And I think that um, you want to talk about bouncing back and, and being resilient and uh, turning the corner and, and all these things. I don't mean to you know resort to cliches here, but <laughs> no. you're going to have to have an army of people that have been through tough times. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think we have here. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Um, kind of leads into my next question. Um, do you think uh, London lacks, lacks an identity to that extent? You know, you're up in, in Ottawa. Uh, you know, if you're talking about London to your fellow you know, MPs or, or other industries, uh, you know, what do you say about the city? Can you, can you encapsulate it? And to that end, does it have a problem there? I talk about resiliency, uh, mm -hmm. certainly, but I think you have to also delve into specifics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a lot of people, it's impressive how we have actually managed to turn the corner from the decline of 2008. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a city that was so often uh, associated, and rightly so, with the traditional approach to manufacturing, mm -hmm. now embracing an advanced mm -hmm. approach to manufacturing in a number of different areas. Uh, not just, uh, I mean, I'll mention a few, but the defense sector mm -hmm. is very, very impressive, mm -hmm. anchored by GDLS. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, uh, all the, uh, the businesses that serve it, and there's many other examples where businesses are, you know, employing robotics and, mm -hmm. and very sophisticated means of technology to produce a, a product. You know, Hudson Boat Works, for mm -hmm. example, is a, is a really good example. But, uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're hosting the show <laughs> and I want to be back sometime, but what you're doing here at our traction, you know, uh, looking at the tech sector and mm -hmm. how it's growing, the emphasis on, uh, on downtown, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the tech sector being here, 300 plus companies employing over 10,000 people, I believe, yep. in the city. This is right. an impressive transition that we're starting to make. But we also have, when we talk about our identity, we also have those critical uh, areas of our economy that have always done well. And that's, uh, frankly, I think of the health sector in that mm -hmm. regard, uh, medical innovation, health research, the fact that we're home to so many uh, uh, doctors and, 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 uh, and nurses who are gifted people in their fields and, uh, you know, help people on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. Everybody identifies with, with healthcare. And when I talk about London, I, I do speak about us as, as uh, making change and, uh, you know, building greater prosperity. Uh, certainly from uh, from uh, and pivoting from the difficult times but we are also a center for healthcare excellence and i think that is is recognized in canada um, mm -hmm. you know the, the the tradition that we have here in terms of healthcare that is known less known is are the advances in 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 tech mm -hmm. and and advanced manufacturing but you know uh, little by little, we're getting there. We're starting to change the narrative. Well, five of the top 50 fastest growing companies or tech companies from Deloitte were based here in London. I saw that so, in your blog, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I do think some of that narrative is, is starting to show up. And I guess uh, the follow-on question to that is, uh, you know, when you're out there talking about London, do you think it's actually a problem that it just took you <laughs> kind of two minutes to, to talk about what London does? And I, I compare and contrast, you know, they, they've done such a great job um, in, uh, you know, I'll pick two communities close to us, Waterloo, you know, what does Waterloo do better than anyone else? Well, technology. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Stratford, it's arts and culture. And I would even say um, those that don't are a little bit more attuned would say blending of arts and culture and technology. They're really right. leading the edge on, on that as a community. Um, that it's, it's sort of as a Londoner, it takes us sort of three or four minutes to 
to explain why our city's great. Uh, well, you're talking to a, a politician, so uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe takes, you like their uh, time. <laughs> it takes three to four minutes for sure. But we just, we just uh, you know, ad lib at will. I think there's a few things to say on that. If you look at the cities that have branded successfully, it's always an organic yeah. identity. It's not imposed uh, from above uh, by a city council or, or by a provincial government mm-hmm. or by a federal government even. Um, you know, a city is is uh, an example of its people. Mm-hmm. And who are its people? The people that make it up. Uh, we are um, an impressive city, a city with uh, a great deal of, uh, of history. And we need to embrace everything that we've done as a community. At the same time, we should look to those specific things that, um, you know, have developed here organically and are doing very well. So I think about health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going to press me and say, what one thing mm-hmm. would you point to and say, ah, this is London, I think of our community as a center for, for health excellence mm-hmm. uh, in research and, and, and care and, and so many other areas. Uh, certainly, you know, we have challenging times in, in health and there are wait times and, mm-hmm. and people worry and, and, and have concerns about that. But we're far better than where, we're, where we were in the mid-1990s. And if you look at where the future is going, you have to talk about medical innovation and research yep. and all the exciting things that are happening there. And that is, uh, that's taking place right here in the city. Um, folks at Western who are doing incredible work uh, studying all sorts of things. I think of the, the brain researchers in particular mm-hmm. uh, who I've had the chance to get to know over the past couple of years working on things like stroke, on mental illness, on concussions. Mm-hmm. Those are things that resonate right across the city and right across the country. So if we can point to one thing that is here, that where there's a tradition of it, I think we can embrace an identity, but more than that, an organic identity. Mm-hmm. My main concern, and, and this is, I, I mean, I think you're right. Um, there's a lot of great work going on about Robarts and Seastar and just some of the amazing stuff. If you've right. never taken the, the tours up there uh, or learn more about what they're doing, I'd encourage any Londoner to go look at what's what's happening there. And then you can go back through history, you know, obviously Banting and Best and Insulin. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a, a history of medical excellence. Some of the first uh, no you know, heart surgeries were performed. Uh, Dr. Kel Stiller is a, a rock star in the medical community. My only challenge with that, uh, and I'd be happy to have people debate me on this, is uh, that because it's um, in Canada anyway, it's part of the, the, the commons, part of the publicly funded um, initiative, that it's uh, potentially problematic to say that a city does something that is largely funded through public research dollars um, versus a, a community-led organization like the tech technology community, the cultural community. I guess you could, you know, again, probably argue that some of the funding from arts comes from federal government, things like that. But a lot of the dollars that flow into these mm-hmm. research parks are, are federal. So as we look at um, growing our economy or growing our employment base, putting stuff that is uh, front and center that's purely just tax you know, revenue supported is potentially a, a, a dangerous that loads it too much, but a, a problematic brand versus something that's a little bit um, less dependent on government funding to be successful. Yeah. So I get where you're coming from, but I also think there's uh, companies that have uh, set, set themselves yeah, up here. Yeah, Trudeau Medical city. is a great example of that it's in the city that's commercialized. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's a private sector company that yep. does very well on its own, does not need uh, you know subsidies from government to, yep. to operate. Certainly government is, is happy to uh, to help invest. Yep. Uh, when when applications come our way, we, we look and we want to help grow companies and help grow sectors. 
such as health. But I go back to the point, we have to be known for something and mm-hmm. not many things. Mm-hmm. And we can tell that story about advanced manufacturing and, and tech, and that should be certainly part of the narrative. But if we're going to show ourselves to the world, I would start with the general point about resiliency mm-hmm. and then and pivot to, uh, to, to healthcare. Not only because it's something that has, I mean, there's an organic element to it. It's natural to our history. You talked about banting, for example. Yeah. You talked about Cal Stiller. Yeah. You know, people who are uh, gems and, uh, and, and well-known uh, across the world, in fact. Yep. But uh, beyond that, healthcare is something that impacts everyone. Uh, everyone understands uh, what it's like when a loved one suffers from cancer mm-hmm. or uh, has a stroke mm-hmm. or and we can you know you fill in the blank yep uh, that is a very that's a very it's so central to the human story and the human condition that if we want to talk about london that's why i like to uh, to go from the from the resilient to to something more specific like healthcare because mm-hmm. people get it mm-hmm. people get that story if i was to jump immediately uh, and say, well, we are uh, a tech center, mm-hmm. or we're doing advanced manufacturing, and, and that's those are our identities. Um, not everybody knows what advanced manufacturing means. Agreed. Not everybody yep. knows what um, you know high tech actually entails. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sit down and explain it, but you know, it'll take longer than three or four minutes. <laughs> take, <laughs> take a good hour or, or more than that. Yep. So that's why I, I think and. This is, I mean, I want to be a champion of all sectors and, you know, you, you need to have a diversified economy. We're moving towards that. Part of the problem in London is that we didn't embrace a diversified approach. We did tend to focus more or less on the traditional approach to manufacturing. Mm-hmm. It got us into trouble. Mm-hmm. We're turning a path in embracing a diversif- uh, diversification. But uh, I think there's a lot to be said about emphasizing healthcare. Yeah, I really like the, uh, the resili- resiliency point. And I think you could even tie in the uh, healthcare, I think you're alluding to that, you know, into that story. What what does resilient mean? Uh, having a healthy population is obviously part of the um, part of the picture. Sure. And I apologize because my notes okay. just evap- evaporated. Are you an so iPhone guy or a, I'm an iPhone okay. guy, and Me I too. Just, I had them in notes, and I have them somewhere else. So um, I'm just gonna, you no know, worries. what we're we're getting to the meat of the stuff that I really love just yep. questioning on anyway. So. Um, I guess from the uh, perspective, you know, one of the, the theories that I had put forward was the concept of uh, human innovation mm-hmm. and um, that maybe that's the common link when you look at uh, the stories around d- the digital uh, sector to healthcare to even advanced manufacturing. It's really um, advanced manufacturing, one could argue, is taking away the dangerous and, and rote routine um, tasks and placing them in at the hands of robots so that they, the work of the humans is right. the more creative, more problem solving, okay. more fulfilling there, type there of work. Argument, yeah. uh, there's a company in town, Freepoint Technologies, that specifically uh, you know, is, is looking at that uh, and, and how to better empower workers on the plant floor. Um, so that was the thread I was trying to look for. Um, I know you've been involved in, in I think you, you actually held an event here. I think it was targeted around innovation. There's something the government was doing. So my question is, what does innovation mean to you as a member of parliament? Innovation to me means very simply doing things faster, better, and smarter. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to press me on that, it's a general point, but I think you have to bring the, that word, that concept into the general Mm -hmm. for people to, to really get a sense of what we mean, because we can talk about medical innovation. We can talk about innovation in, in, in tech. We can talk about it in, in any number of, of sectors. We can talk about it from a, 
arts and culture perspective. Yep. Uh, arts and culture organizations need to reinvent themselves. I agree. Yeah, and that, many are. That is, that's part of being innovative. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a community, as you say, that has embraced innovation, yeah, I, I can see that in London. Mm -hmm. We have done very well in that regard, and we continue to. But Do you see examples of innovation in London that you want to speak to specifically? Yeah, I mean, you know, look at what's happening as far as uh, we've talked about tech and health and advanced mm -hmm. manufacturing. That's really impressive. But if you look at how, take the Grand Theater, for example. Mm -hmm. The Grand Theater has always done a good job. But Agreed. there are, under Dennis's direction now, they are starting to really attach themselves to the idea that arts isn't just about... Uh, bringing people together to, to make them laugh or to make them cry. It's also about uh, bringing people together so they can ask critical questions of themselves and of their society. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the whole debate around prom queen, for mm -hmm. example, I think is, uh, is an, a very good example of that. Um, they've had to reinvent in many ways. Yep. And uh, that is, that's only a good thing. I think, uh, you know, innovation in, in arts is an example of what we're seeing in the city. Uh, Culture Days, for example. Mm -hmm. I don't remember growing up with Culture Days <laughs> in London, but if you want to talk about arts and culture, you have to talk about you know getting people out of their houses and having them come out and, and embrace a uh, you know a view of the arts that is not as I mean I love museums and I love art galleries, mm -hmm. right? But let's let's take the arts out of buildings, mm -hmm. out of institutions, and into the community. That's something that I've, I'm really impressed by in London, mm -hmm. and we've done a. And there's more to do. But, uh, you know, I always make the point to constituents that government can't do everything, as important as government is. Everywhere you look in London, we see examples of citizens just standing up and saying, okay, we've done it this way. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can do it another way. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're an example of that. Frankly, you're an example of that, you know, hosting a show like this. Like, it's not often that you see... <laughs> no, I mean it. Uh, it's not often that you see... Uh, people taking the time to say, okay, uh, cities need a brand. Mm -hmm. What's London's brand? In fact, maybe we could even, I'm glad to talk to you about what motivated the, the idea because yeah. we we see cities that have embraced a brand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. It hasn't. I think in yep. London's case, it probably hasn't worked and we yep. need to <laughs> rethink it. But what... Uh, I don't mean to turn around. No, yes, really. we're at that stage. I wanted to. Actually. I wanted to ask you, like, <laughs> tell me about uh, branding and and how you see the importance sure. of it. Yeah, I mean, um, well, we, you know, my my company does branding, so obviously, I, I have to say from my corporate hat on that branding is really important to an organization, um, an entity. But I actually think it's important for for any living city or a living organism. And I see a city as a collection of. of uh, of parts. Um, I think there's two main issues that I, I really think it's important to have a brand for. One is uh, if you have a vision or you understand where you're going, some of the decision-making processes become easier, yeah. not necessarily less contentious. Um, but if you have a plan and you, you have uh, something that's going forward in your city, it makes it easier to make sure. certain decisions that I think we struggle to yeah. in London. Um, you know, again, I, uh, Waterloo, I'm a big fan of uh, where, what they've done, uh, but obviously for them, uh, being a technology sector, that leads to, okay, we need to have an attraction retention policy uh, around 
you know, millennials and, and recent graduates. Right. And, um, you know, I believe that's the lens that sort of yeah. looks at this, something like putting in an LRT system. And I don't want to go down the transit rabbit hole, but uh, I do think, you know, I'm sure there was lots of debates and arguments and heated, uh, you know, heated back and forth and, and name calling on social media when that uh, project was. But I think it gives a, a, an easier civic um, dialogue to say, no, this fits our this fits our vision, this fits our, our plan. Um, for the city. Um, the other thing is I think um, it's important to have um, some amount of civic pride. I think you can mm -hmm. go over to um, the, the far side where you have infallible pride. And I think as Canadians, uh, we're less subject to that than some other countries. Um, but I think if you, if you want to bring uh, businesses to London, if you want to keep people in London, if you want to retain right. Western and Fanshawe uh, grads, there has to be a little bit of a a, a step a little bit of a, a swagger to steal yeah, Mona sure. from MLD's yeah. uh, statement at the mayor's breakfast, you know, just a little bit of swagger back in the sense that, Hey, there's some really cool stuff going on. You know, you hear there's nothing to do in London, Ontario. And, and once you're in this community, that's patently sure. false. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, the grand theater gives you, you know, at least a couple of opportunities a week to get out and experience something uh, that's unique and new between the, the different theaters and productions that they're doing. And, um, you know, I just think if, if people talk positively about the yeah. community and believe in uh, the collective work, even if your industry, like there's lots of people who aren't employed in technology in, in Waterloo or in the oil fields in, in Calgary, but it gives you a sense that your city's doing something right. that, that makes a difference on a, on a local or global scale. And I feel like, um, you know, I've been in London now 15 years, running operated a business in, in London in 15 years, and we often come up against this recruitment and retention problem yeah. of why would we, why All would somebody time. stay in London? Well, you should stay in London because there's our attraction. Well, what if it doesn't work at our attraction? What's my exactly. next option? Yeah. Uh, and you kind of have to point to a specific company. Well, you know, there's these great three or four companies in town here, rather than, no, London's a great place to be because we have X. Uh, oftentimes it's, you know, a lower cost of living and a great place to, to yeah. raise a family, but I don't believe that people find their purpose in a cheaper house i mean i think that's a nice to have that's a yeah. that's a benefit there's so much uh, more features and benefits yeah. there's, there's a lot more living that you can have here and i you know, i think some people would fairly argue that that's enough and yeah. for some people that is enough but i think a lot of us seek to connect meaning through uh through work through our contributions yeah. whether it's as an mp a business owner uh, an employee at any of the great organizations we've talked to um but you're connected to a common purpose so you're building something together yeah. and i think it brand ties that together right. so regardless so, of where you're serving in waterloo in uh in what capacity yeah. you're you're helping towards build a community which i think is exciting you said a lot of really interesting things there that sparked in me some ideas so yeah. i mentioned the fact i mean if you push me to say what's london's identity yeah. again i go back to the fact that i think we ought to have a general identity mm -hmm. based on the embrace of resilience that we've seen throughout yep. our city's history particularly since 2008, and a specific identity focused on, on healthcare and the excellence in mm -hmm. healthcare that we see in our community. But I think all of that needs to be grounded in pride. Resiliency specifically mm -hmm. itself is, is uh, really a, a manifestation of pride anyway. But I talked about Detroit. I also think about New York. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I know that people out there are saying, oh no, <laughs> not the best comparison to make between London, Ontario and New York City. But I do make... Why not? I, I raise it here to say that that whole idea of I love New York, mm -hmm. right? You've seen it on come up a few mugs times, yep. and T-shirts. That idea, that brand came out of the 1970s in New York mm -hmm. when New York was going through all sorts of economic, social, political difficulties. There was a lack of confidence in the city's citizens. 
And the idea was, well, let's bring that confidence back. Yeah. This idea that this is a good place to live, that New York offers a lot. Yeah. And let's embrace that. So a very simple idea of I love New York became embraced by the community. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had in London the community embrace an identity. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're going to have that happen, that identity needs to be grounded in pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a lot to be proud of in this city. We have problems. There's no question about it. Uh, we have people living in poverty in this city. Yep. We have children living in poverty in this city, and we need to do better in those areas, and we're starting to. But there's a lot of things that are going well, mm-hmm. a lot of things that are going just right. And, I mean, you talk about housing prices. Yeah, that's a good thing about London, but it's nice to be able to afford a home and then get in your car or get in a bus or whatever it might be and go down to the Grand Theater mm-hmm. or go down to see a Knights game mm-hmm. and be back at a reasonable time. <laughs> I love Toronto, yeah. but it takes a long time yeah. to go from A to B. In Toronto, I think they've more or less accepted this. Yep. In London, sometimes we take it for granted. Oh, totally we take yeah. these things completely yep. for granted. So an identity grounded in, in being proud of this community and who we are as a community mm-hmm. and all the things that the community offers uh, I think is something that needs to be front and center when we talk about branding London. Yeah, you touched about uh, on a subject, and I, I think it is also the advantage of, of having a brand uh, and, and civic pride because it allows us to touch on some areas that are not well tended to. So if we want to say, uh, you know, London's a great community that we're, we're proud to be here, I think it um, those of us that uh, want to adopt the appropriate lens are also forced to look at the areas that we're failing. Um, you know, one of the challenges I had when I first put out the branding uh, London project, um, I was challenged on how London hasn't uh, successfully adopted uh, diversity and inclusion mm. to the extent that it, it maybe should. Um, so I'm having an interview on the 18th with Ariel, uh, and I'm excited to hear from her perspective about what it means to be in London uh, and uh, and have that dialogue. Because I think as soon as we put out something that we say we want to be uh, a great city to live in, we have to mean that for every Londoner, whether you're right. a, a recent immigrant, uh, your family's been here for generations. Uh, An inclusive society for all is what yeah. you're talking about. And I really think, you know, when you talk about resiliency, you know, I love what you said about, um, you know, the, the immigrant population and uh, how those uh, individuals are often fleeing uh, refugees and um, uh, those types of conflicts actually really strengthens our city because right. we have people uh, who have a skill set and who have a determination exactly. and, and have a drive to make a better life for themselves been, and for their families and been through hell and, and, and know and what it means here. to try to turn a corner. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, that's a really um, salient point. I think sometimes uh, we try to close ourselves off to the concept of immigration or see it as a threat to um, our, our ecology, but I, I see it as completely the opposite, that um, bringing in diverse views really strengthens our community, no and I, I wanted to um, acknowledge that uh, that is an important for this project. I'm hoping to get uh, more diverse views on that point because I think the city of London is great. But even last night we had something about you know the the carding issue okay. in London, and you know again that's may, maybe not one to discuss on this podcast. But uh, I think that there is a uh, a recognition that if we put a, forward a great brand for our city, we had to be able to back that up with uh, our our policies and programs and and the efforts that we make out in the community. We have to take the good with the bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everything is perfect in our city, mm-hmm. uh, and we have to find ways to strengthen our city when we have citizens who feel 
that they've been discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we have outright examples of violence, mm-hmm. uh, where you know individuals who are members of minority groups have been targeted, and that yeah. has happened in recent yeah. years in London. Uh, we need to speak out against that and take actions to ensure that doesn't happen. Hate has no place in our community or in any community. Mm-hmm. At the same time, those actions are happening in other cities as well. Yeah. And so London is not unique or specific in that regard. But uh, I think it's, uh, you know, part of being a, a proud Londoner uh, ought to be qu- asking questions about what kind of community we have and, mm-hmm. and where uh, problems exist, uh, you know, not being shy and calling out those problems and taking action to uh, <laughs> to address them. Yeah. Sorry, I was addressing an issue on Twitter today. Oh. That was what my face oh, okay. was about because I think sometimes <laughs> people wish I wouldn't uh, speak out sometimes, but uh, that's a story for another time. Um, Twitter's its own universe. <laughs> it yeah. is its own ecosystem. So far, you know, my the people have been very supportive of the views, but because uh, I, I agree with you that uh, when there's uh, injustices or um, problems that we can see uh, that don't reflect what I think our brand should be as a city or what uh, the messaging uh, we should be putting forward in our particular industries that uh, we do support a, a more diverse and inclusive lens. I spent a lot of time at Pillar Nonprofit Network and uh, learned a lot about uh, privilege and about uh, how to build an inclusive community. And, and so that's given me some pause yeah. um, on on reflecting on no, what it means to be a great city. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and I and I do agree with you. I have a lot of civic pride. You know, my my main reason for launching this project was um, a lot of people I know and respect and build business here love being in London, but I couldn't get a, a really good answer as to why. And the natural curiosity is like, okay, if we can accept that we we love being in London, we love being here, mm-hmm. uh, but we can't answer why. That's really an, an interesting yeah. thing. Um, so next it question down I, to pri- Oh, yeah, you know, no, expand, please. It could come down to the issue of priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're trying to determine a brand for a city, uh, I think that uh, when you look at it, and if you have 40 different things that you want to highlight, mm-hmm. you're not going to have, you're going to have 40 different identities. Correct. So that's why I say it's important to be specific. It's important to, to you mentioned Waterloo and you jumped right to describing tech. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's a great arts and culture scene in, in Waterloo as well. Yeah. And they've got very good universities mm-hmm. and there's yep. people playing sports and doing all sorts of, I mean, there's the Guelph Storm and the like in the area mm-hmm. and, and all of that. But we think of Waterloo, we think tech. Yep. And I think it's, uh, as I said before, let's embrace a general identity grounded in resiliency and pride. But let's also have something very specific that we can go to when we're trying to talk to uh, people outside of the outside of the city and trying to recruit investment in this city. Mm-hmm. What is this city known for? What's it all about? What's grounded it? And you know, talking about banting and, and following that through to, to healthcare is, is where I go. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have forty priorities, you have no priorities. If you have forty <laughs> identities, you have no identities. Yes, yeah. that's uh... no identity. Well, you know, the the common sort of thread uh, also is, you know, there's not, uh, you know, some of those things that have happened in, in other communities can be anchored to uh, a few different uh, industries or a few different key players. So, you know, Waterloo is tech largely because of the success of RIM and in, in open text. Uh, now you have to, you, I think if you go back in time in their narrative, it's the, the Waterloo engineering department and um, their focus on mathematics mm-hmm. excellence, right. which produced the rim so i think yeah. you'd have to go back sure. but that's what really put them on the map as a as a technology um you know world stage center uh you know detroit it, it 
automotive obviously sure. you know yeah. that was where they were able to build their brand successfully for for 10 years that's why and, i like uh, the the example of detroit that's why i think we can learn a lot yeah, from what detroit one, is doing yep. right now this whole detroit versus everybody i'm not saying it ought to be branded <laughs> yeah, as london versus, versus everybody, everybody. <laughs> we're, we're a bit more of a reserved people in, in, in london canadians have always just wanted peace order and good government but <laughs> i think the fact i mean yeah an economy grounded on uh, or based on the automotive sector london had an economy based on on manufacturing yeah. factory town yeah. Uh, so I think you know, learning from other jurisdictions as well is is, is bound to help us. Great. Uh, so that um, I like to offer at this point, is there something I should have asked you that oh. I didn't oh, ask boy. you? Like, oh, man, I really well, wish you had asked me about. They're not, they're not going to hold it against you. Uh, <laughs> no. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no. There's. Okay. I think that's been a really good conversation. Okay. And I look forward to, uh, to more conversations around this. I think it's important for cities to to be known for something mm -hmm. and and a brand is is important as part of that but it has to be organic yeah. because if we try to if, if politicians or even community leaders uh, come together and say okay this is london's identity no we've got to embrace something that is part of our history something mm -hmm. that londoners know something that brings the community together and affects everyone uh so that that's where i would like to see things go yeah in the past and very well-intentioned efforts uh, of people that want to want to see a better London, frankly. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it hasn't materialized in the way that we wanted in terms of a brand, but I, I salute you and everybody else that, <laughs> that wants to uh, turn the corner in some ways and and embrace something new and have a conversation around it. Yeah, my my approach is, my theory again, uh, is that uh, let's start collecting the stories. Um, yeah. I, again, I don't think it's up to any one individual. Uh, I certainly don't think, and I've deliberately chose the hashtag rather than the, the city of London because I have by no means want to brand the city or the corporation of the city of the corporation of London or whatever it is, uh, change their logo. But uh, I think if we start telling stories uh, and start to hear some of the the pride that people have in their community, hopefully those those ripples yeah. go out and uh, it's it. You know, I, I truly believe it's not going to be David Bilson or Peter uh, that solved the Were you going to say my mystery. last name in there? Any, any, no, no I, I'm not afraid of it. No, no, I blew the, the poor Broncos earlier. But no, no, uh, it was more just uh, it's trains of thoughts colliding, to be honest, that caused the pause. Uh, for me, it's the, um, you know, there's... There's some other voices in the community that will start to uh, latch on. And, and again, I, I allude to the Towards London podcast um, where I was like, there's some really like cool stuff across so yeah. many different industries. How do we tell a story about what's happening in London? That's why you know, I came up with the, the I say the theory of you know, it's a human innovation. So regardless of whether it's medical or uh, digital innovation or advanced manufacturing, um, that there's always that, that ability to improve human life yeah. through innovation. See, that and maybe that's the, the common core, but I think you're in Britain, not to put words in your mouth. So just so I understand it, I think that is, uh, the general identity that, mm -hmm. that you're trying to advocate for yeah. here, you know, one grounded on, yeah. on and I'm going to take a little position as a theory. potentially too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, like all good scientific theories. It's uh, or, or perhaps legislation we learned, yeah. <laughs> learned today, you know, or maybe at first reading of that, uh, <laughs> of that particular brand. Uh, the other one that's uh, been really interesting to, um, to find it through conversations both in this process and out um, is what enables that. And right. uh, there's a joke in London that there's one degree of separation. Right. 
And uh, so, but I do think it's true. Uh, there's not a single business leader or community member or nonprofit leader or MP, MPP um, that I'm not really one phone call uh, away from reaching as a small business owner um, is a fantastic uh, opportunity to be able to build community. I think it's how we're able to come together quickly to solve problems. Again, we have to do it a lot better and, and there's lots of improvements to be made, but I do think we come together and I do think it's because of the, the fidelity of that network. Mm-hmm. What's been um, interesting to sort of think about is, okay, if we have this great network um, that allows stuff to flow and information to flow, where are the barriers? Because um, you, know, you hear about people talking about London being a cold or there's nothing to do or, uh, you know, I, you know, I have friends or I have trouble networking, but then you talk to people who've been here several years. It's like, yeah, no, it's great. I got, you know, I know the restaurant owner. I can, uh, you know, I, and I, I, that's the digital, the social media connections in London are also, there's a digital echo of that, of the network. That's quite powerful. Um, so once you're in the network, it's incredibly powerful and you, uh, there's a, again, an old joke. It's not really a joke. You know, you don't bother looking for jobs in London. A job will kind of find you because of the, the efficiency of the network of somebody knows is looking for talent there's somebody else who knows that talent that's looking and you're that one or two degrees of separation but again i think it's going to be really interesting as we explore this notion that if you're outside of that network if you're new to london if you haven't interfaced in the network or you're uh systematically excluded due to barriers from that network that's where i think it would seem as a cold or uninviting city. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to poke away at that as well, which is, okay, how can we have two different, completely different narratives where people say London's great and I have hundreds of friends and I, uh, I have great business connections and great networking events. And you have other people who say London's a really closed off snobbish community. Um, And I think it's actually where you're at on that. If you're connected to that, that human network, not a, you know, don't mean a computer network necessarily, but a human network versus not connected. So, and then again, that allows us to start thinking about how do we increase people's ability to get into the network? You said a lot of, I I know you're trying to close the show. No, I I think you've got another five, 10 minutes. I think so. Well, no, I just wanted to build on one of the points that you uh, mentioned there, David, about uh, a lot of the, the networking that can be done in the city and the fact that, as you said, uh, I think a a job finds you uh, in, in London. The fact that we can network uh, more efficiently, perhaps, in the city, because I agree with you, that mm-hmm. is easier to do, it would seem, than in, in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. People yeah. tend to uh, know each other here, and they get to know each other very quickly if yep. they don't know each other already. That's one of the maybe hidden benefits of a medium-sized city. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the to, to the point before. You know, we don't have to be Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal or, or Calgary or, or Edmonton. Yep. We, we are who we are. Let's embrace the, the good things and let's be proud of those. Let's try and improve where, uh, the challenges that we and problems that we have. David and I have put our time into recording the Branding London podcast because we love this city and more importantly, the people in it. Our Traction decided to produce this podcast because this work is aligned with our core focus of amplifying great stories to increase relevance, impact, engagement, and momentum. If you'd like to support us, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash brandinglondon. Your generous support will help us to promote this season into more channels so that more people can hear London's good news stories and it'll help us fund future seasons. To find recaps, videos of some interviews, our Patreon link, or more information about us in this podcast, you can visit ourtraction.com slash podcast. 
Production assistance for this series was provided by Webisodes. Special thanks to Adam Kaplan for his help with recording the live streams and providing the audio from those interviews. We're also grateful for the technical production support of Michael Dales. Thanks for listening. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the Branding London podcast, like our traction on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 